Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar Magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you enjoy our interviews. This week, we were thrilled to get to spend some quality time with the talented and magical Yola. I hope that you enjoy our interview. Welcome to Why Not Both. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. I, I was listening to your album this morning. It was, it's like the perfect journey. Like I like that it's like, <laughs> I love narrative albums and people don't make narrative albums anymore, really. Well, they no. do, but this, this, the, the whole concept album that actually starts somewhere and finishes somewhere seems to be quite a rarity and it's not quite a concept album, but it's close. And uh, yeah, I like that. I like telling stories, you know, it's a big thing. Yes. Yes, I I'm a huge reader and so I enjoy the same in my musical media as I enjoy in books. I'm like, oh, I get to follow this character and then I save the last pages for last so that they don't they don't leave me. <laughs> that's, it. that's that's it. I'm I'm a big sci-fi head, grew up in a lot of sci-fi books and <gasps> and uh so yeah, I've always been into um, you know, kind of that kind of genre of book and movie and television and a bit of fantasy and things like that and so I've always like relished the story the idea of movement of like arriving somewhere you know always really fun always really great thing to and I think like musically that's why I like being across some genres um it allows me to move and like uh, allows me to tell a story sonically from one space to another and how they're connected because I suppose that's stories isn't it it's like how did this thing lead to that thing like I like to do that both sonically as well as like you know narratively oh I love that idea like almost if you know imagining like the hero's journey kind of each step of the way has a different kind of like sonic landscape well exactly you know because we as we like learn things or grow or just go through life we're not going into kind of tessellated identical spaces where and so like that's really what that's what I like to do sonically I like to talk about all the stuff that we've experienced musically in the interim and how they speak to each other how they've influenced each other and like yeah and so the the record really is about connections between concepts or between spaces or between states of mind and states of being I suppose uh, being a little bit of a doormat and then kind of how I transitioned to not being that uh, (laughs) you know it's kind of an important move yeah and so 
Yeah, because everything, you know, it's the whole everything's connected paradigm, the great oneness. And so, uh, yeah, and I think musically, I believe in the great oneness. <laughs> I, I, I think everything's connected. And this idea, we just get really obsessed with this idea of like completely standalone like environments for music. Like this was just these people in this mountain village doing this and they never saw any other human ever. <laughs> and that's how this song came about or this kind of music came about. Like, you know, that's bullshit and that humans see humans all the time. Like, <laughs> like all the time, even at that time when you're like the kind of periods of history that people are so desperately trying to not publicize like anything before 1500 in the West. <laughs> affectionately known as the dark ages when it's just black and brown history and they don't want to talk about it like yep <laughs> it's all of that kind of crap I'm like everything's connected everyone's traveling to see other humans they never stopped they literally never stopped <laughs> and uh yeah everything's connected all the time we all are all the time everything is all the time <laughs> I love what you just brought up also about in a way kind of like the how do I put it it's like the unsung stories but only unsung in the mainstream narrative like yeah. those stories are there they're just the stories that are sometimes covered over or not it's not convenient for white supremacy yeah. is I was gonna say they just they just don't it's not great. In. No, let me go and like feel a bunch of stuff. You're not gonna go hear the here are the people I stole it from and how well they were doing with it all. You're gonna go, they didn't even know they had it. It wasn't even really stealing. Oh my That's god. That's the narrative that you're gonna tell. You're not gonna be like, wait a minute. Um if I wasn't stealing gold, for example, um that would mean, in theory, that they had no idea they had gold, which would mean all crowns never that were gold never existed before the 1500s or 1600s. Right. right. They were just... But we know that's generic. not true. And we also <laughs> know that only black and brown people had gold. Right. Right. <laughs> and so then someone was selling it. Someone was excavating it and selling it. Right. And smelt and turning into things. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's somewhat inconvenient a thought isn't it <laughs> when it's like so if they were selling this stuff then they were trading and that was being shipped and they knew to, to ship they knew the price and the value of it and people were buying it and only rich people had it so it wasn't like oh they didn't know they just gave it to any Tom, Dick and Harry <laughs> only rich people <laughs> And so it's like, right, so there is fully aware of the trading environment. And well, then that really changes like our preconceived notion of some continents. And so, yeah, yeah like I feel like this, uh, this like narrative of how everything's really super divided is, is, it's not just a divide and conquer on a kind of political, social, social level. It's on an artistic level. It's for, the white supremacist mind to claim more ownership over contemporary music yeah. um, and not lay it all at the feet of African-Americans and essentially, I suppose, Africans. And so um, that's where we are. And this is the, the fight that we wage, one that gives credit where it truly is due. 
I am nodding vigorously. I realized you can't see me because the camera's off. So I was like, I will add like a text-based adventure cue of like, Pam is nodding vigorously in agreement to what you have said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's life I live in. So I have to, uh, I like all of my ability to kind of uh, reconnect everything is to connect it back to the source. That's really what it is. And I love all things that do that. I love that. And I love like everything, by the way, everything you just said, I wish I could unpack like every sentence. And then this podcast would be like 17 hours long. Ah. Um, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, strap in. <laughs> it's fine. We can move on, but there's a lot there. Like, yeah. too much. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about what you said about like how you started talking about like the stories of sci-fi that informed you, which are in some ways like I'm so curious which ones informed you because so much of sci-fi is future facing. However, I find that the more sci-fi I read, the more it's actually like mythos and source facing. And so I was like, that that is what like lit up my brain right there. And also, like you said about, you know, that it's inconvenient to the narrative of white supremacy to give anybody other than a white person agency or to have any acknowledgement of the of the culture and structures that were in place that were like, well, that doesn't fit the narrative. And like, it's very, Not, I'm, I'm a, yeah, they can't exist in the modern narrative. Right. Like even with Afrobeat, even with what's coming out there now, it's like people still struggle with the idea of the great advancements from the continent um, even to the point that they'll appropriate Egyptian advancement, because at least that's something that has been put into the public consciousness, but not with the hue of people who were behind it. Right. Like, Wait a minute. So did Egyptians marry? So like, what did they look like before? Like, uh, like were Arabs always there? No. No. <laughs> Just no. No. <laughs> no. No, actually, no. Eventually, obviously, lots of marrying, of course. You know, African and Asian continent kind of like had it sewn up when it comes to money. They could have all the stuff, like all of the stuff. And so, yeah, you marry for peace. and But there's loads of marrying to, um, you know, Kushite families, Nubian families. That's all mid and sub-Sahara and the dark as hell. <laughs> just, it's not something the narrative tries to make like the number of movies I've just been like, or represented um, Egyptians at the most at very pale arrows is ridiculous. I always um, found that so strange. Like growing up, I, I described myself as off-brand white because I'm like a Jewish girl from the Valley. So I'm like, it's, it's like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like the miracle whip instead of mayonnaise. Um, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It's like that liminal space where you're like, mm, I'm, I'm not that, but I'm, I'm not that. I'm, uh, well, I guess I'm just here. I know. <laughs> yeah, things that aren't always straightforward, but that's a narrative that's never been straightforward. It's like, oh, we're doing everything to kind of disenfranchise it from Africa because it's responsible for so much that we can't handle that they yeah. were dark. I remember in Hebrew school, like learning about like Egyptian culture and the Egyptians weren't black. And I, I remember bringing that up because I was just like, because I, I had just taken geography class. I was that kid in class. I was just like, but isn't it 
wouldn't that doesn't that it's right by like I was just like <laughs> it's like looking at the I'm illustrations like, in the book and I was just like this is weird Th- these don't look like my friends weird. are from there like I was like what's happening <laughs> why are you doing this to me this feels wrong uh, this is me on the doll where they freaking programmed you <laughs> exactly <laughs> there, were, there were these holes that I remember questioning and did you have that experience I'm, I'm not sure if you had that experience as a kid where it's like you would hear what the dominant narrative is and or see the dominant narrative and you wouldn't have the voc- or at least I didn't when I was a kid no I didn't have the vocabulary like I think like like they got me on a number of levels because I was raised by my beige and mum and the English are over there too so they programmed in Barbados before she even came to England just so when she landed there she didn't give her offspring any African ideas but like um, that's like like the Brits are better than Americans at um, hiding and covering up and um, mentally programming their black people wow that's just what it is mate fascinating I because I the closest person to me that's British is a former partner of mine and he's white and he was explaining even like the history that he learned and and it just stops like his history lessons stop and I was like what do you mean they stop like they they just and there's so much that like and I think there's obviously flaws with the American system like as a scene by us pushing back on teaching critical race theory but it's (laughs) <laughs> I was like, not going to ignore the flaws there. But I found but that we're not even starting that, mate. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I was like, your history lessons just cease. Like at a certain point, it's like that's that's yeah. all of history. Like what? Like can you? They won't touch more? loads of bits because it's not convenient. <laughs> yeah, like what? What kind of programming? Because that that gives all new light to like, like I said, I was listening to your album. That gives all new light to that to kind of. um undo those narratives within you because you do soak in the things that are around you you do you do like this it's so much um it's patriarchal and it's anti-black and the programming is sophisticated and it's subtle and it involves myriad cover-ups to keep the idea of the British underdog fighting with tenacity to you know be excellent and to disproportionately affect culture in the world um, positively. You know, that's really the PR campaign. And we mostly believe it. Mm. But, you know, like, I don't know whether you can invade a 90 plus percentile of the planet and have the 89th percentile believe that you're still cool if you're not good at that. A number of times I watch the American news, I'm like, haven't you guys heard of a bloody camera? (laughs) (laughs) Americans. You know that Prince Andrew's still freaking being tried for being like all kinds of things. How are you hearing of that right now? Like, (laughs) we are the most egocentric culture that I've encountered, I must say. But you're also not subtle. You can't cover shit coffee. We're covering up shit left, right, back and center. We're no better than you. You just can't see it. We're way better at this. (laughs) That that was something that did come up in my former partnership that though I don't consider myself like as an American and as a Jewish American, I'm the quiet one in my family, which is a a stunning revelation. Um, But uh, (laughs) but (laughs) I never considered how direct I was until the very first time when he and I met, like we're still good friends, but it's like when he and I met, 
I had asked him if he was comfortable sitting on a beanbag chair with me because it was the only spot at my friend's house to watch a movie. And he mm-hmm. thought I was making fun of him. I thought I was being polite, asking, like, are you comfortable if I sit here? And he's like, are you comfortable if you sit here? And I was like, well, are, are you comfortable if I sit here? And he's like, well, are you? And I was just like, I don't understand what is happening right now. I was, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I'm so confused. I'm trying to be nice to this person. And he, like, he thought I was mocking him. And it's because of that extraordinary directness and lack of subtlety. <laughs> yeah. Versus British culture. <laughs> It's like what we would actually do is just be really awkward about it and then go, oh, I should probably not ask. And then I don't know what, I probably shouldn't sit there. And then awkwardly or just stand like some weird lamppost. In yeah, the just feel like a flamingo. <laughs> yeah, just like be like utterly weird instead of just ask for the thing and check. And, you know, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a big part of, we don't talk about anything. So take that and extrapolate the trend to how effectively you think we talk about racism. <laughs> no. No. It's the awkward flamingo in every room. Oh. <laughs> the awkward flamingo in every room. Nailed it. Oh, it's, it's mind-blowing. Just trying to get people to... I'm like... Like, I, I remember when I moved to Nashville, and people was like, oh, it's quite conservative there. I'm like, I've had, like, 15 more conversations profoundly about, like, the nuance of, like, Black femininity in art and blah, blah, than I have in 30 years of living in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and so if this is the conservative people, you want to come to the UK and see how we do. <laughs> You'll see exactly what's popping. <laughs> it's interesting. Like it, it, it helps percolate the status quo by not really addressing anything because it's not, it seems way too direct. <laughs> That's fascinating because even in like the conservative areas of America, people will be direct about it. Like that's, that is one thing that it, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's easy to know where you're in danger because people are very vocal about their opinions. Like I do find that, like I said, I, I, I'm not religious, but like, you can't un-Jewish yourself. Like once you're born Jewish, (laughs) you can't opt out. I can't unsubscribe. And so it's like, (laughs) I can't be like, sorry, the trial period is over. (laughs) um, And so there are places where it's like, like, you know, like I said, off-brand white, where sometimes I don't know, like, are people anti-Semitic or not? But people are generally pretty vocal. Like, and yeah. the thing, if people are anti-Black, you know it. It's not like there's ambiguity. And so... No, this is not the place for ambiguity. And no. so the upside of that is that you're like, oh, you're mental. Cool, I'm going over there. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know? You're like, oh, that's not there. And yeah, you know, granted like there are mental people that could just willfully kill you that's some of the this is the 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 lottery of america there are the worst things on planet earth there are the best things on planet earth all in one soup and all you have to do is survive and then you might get some of those really cool things and so it's very high stakes this kind of yeah it's high stakes (laughs) It's, it's it's high stakes but the trick is is that the there's a facility regardless of whether you are like psychologically hope isn't something that is counter the culture (laughs) (laughs) that's i was so curious here hope is counterculture you're a rebel if you have hope 
here. Yeah. The, the whole the fun. <laughs> it's like, oh, America, you might die in it. You might get killed in America. But in, in the UK, you might kill yourself. You're your own biggest danger here. <laughs> so, uh, like, that's one yeah. thing that I was like, really blew my mind. I was like, wow. Like, that's that's the big distinctive factor it's that yeah no no it is a full-on gauntlet you might die but at least you have hope whilst you're living and then if you get taken out i suppose that is what it is like try try and try to not die sometimes you don't have yeah. a choice <laughs> you know especially wild black the number of random things you can do wild black and they go it's threatening you're like oh, really i'm on the loo oh, like <laughs> It, it's horrible. And I worry, like, I worry for my friends because then I'm like, okay, well, what can I do? Like what it, I'm barely five feet tall. What am I going to do? And so all I do is I'm just, like, I'm like, please use my paleness as a shield. And like, I mean, it, it does. It sometimes oh, work. You know what you can do though? Tell me. That's one really thing. And every white lady listening, if you haven't figured it out already, because I called the white ladies out. There's, it works. It stops all rooms, everyone, trains stop, airplanes fall out of the sky. White lady tears. You know it. <laughs> yes. Just stop crying. <laughs> Weaponize them. Take hold all of your black friends and brown friends close and go, I love them so. Ah! And then just break down in tears and like cars will crash because they're looking and not looking where they're going. Like, Shit stops for like lady tears. They don't yes. stop for black lady tears, but shit stops for white lady tears. So all you lady allies, the second you see something crazy, just start crying. Cry hard. Really like just just white lady as hard as you can. And it will work. It's beautiful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna channel out of the way white lady that's crying. If you <gasps> manage to do it then, you could do it in other places. Weaponize that white lady. I just made tiny plotting hands. I was just like, so I took acting lessons as a kid and I will channel my inner most upset Goishka lady. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is like, now I know. Cause I'm like, what can I possibly do? And like I said, I, I tend to like all, all, you know, flit in and be my little like pixie, like pale self, just kind of like distracting. Um, and now I'm like, okay, now I know crying is the way because it's, it's the true. way. Being a small, pale lady, when people are crying, it it triggers some sort of like weird, latent Victorian urge to like take care of you. It's very. It strange. does. It's actually you're actually weaponizing another kind of bigotry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you're just gonna take one bit of bigotry and fight it with another bit of bigotry. Which I'm okay with that. Have the same power. <laughs> I was like, if that's my like Shira sort of power to like help deflect from you, I'm like, I will do it. <laughs> I'm like, hey, hey, hey! I've got English accent privilege, which at least buys me five minutes for them to go. Do I kill this one? Like, and I'm like, ha You're so confused. I'm done. <laughs> you're like everything I say is like bonus fifty points intelligent because of my accent, <laughs> basically, <laughs> and confusing because they thought it was just Idris Elba and Naomi Campbell, <laughs> and like, <laughs> and so when they realized, oh, there's another one. Oh, what what does it mean? Is is she ours? <laughs> like, does, like does the queen appear if we touch? I don't know. I'm confused, and just and that moment of confusion is when you scarper out of the field of. You know, yes. the shot of a 
bullet. And that's that's (laughs) self-defense. That's actually what I learned in self-defense class was confuse your enemy because in that moment of confusion, you can escape. I've almost got, I almost got freaking mugged once and I freaking, well, actually I've got mugged a number of times in London, but like uh, once I just utterly confused them and they're like, what? I went, what's happening? I'm like, I know, right? It's so confusing. It's totally fine. But yeah, if they just don't, if, you're so much more high maintenance when you're an an uncalculated threat. <laughs> like, oh, is this person crazy? Is this person actually going to try and like consume me whole? Like, yes. like if you don't, if they don't know what you're capable of, it's uncomfortable. And wow. so, but like not knowing not having a clue as to like where you are on the packing order because of your accent it just buys you enough time to live it also buys you enough time to like circumnavigate people's cognitive bias uh, <laughs> enough to give you to actually listen to what you just said they go oh god oh oh uh, and they'll try to go oh hi girl you know it's turn up I'm, like, I'm sorry I don't know what you're doing but I haven't lived here long enough to learn whatever it is you're saying but I'll live it soon and then I'll be like fully versed on whatever trope this is. But, <laughs> and so then they don't have a trope to go to. It's like utterly oh, disabling. No. And like, people have like a beef, like, oh, you know, black English people are getting all the jobs and blah, blah, blah. Now we're just getting the opportunity to circumnavigate white people's bias long enough to get in. That's really what it is. Ain't nothing else. Well, the linguistic bias that we have in the States, which is so weird that like, well, not weird. It follows, you know, patriarchal white supremacy that basically like our mainstream culture will then cherry pick like phrases from not our not white people language, basically. And then be like, words are cool now. Um, But then unless you, uh, as you pointed out, have a British accent, we're like those words that you're saying, not cool. Like those are not cool. We we deem those lower than. But these ones that we've cherry picked, we're going to use these in memes, and like it's going to be great. Um, yeah. <laughs> like... And then they'll do a special little talk to you, thinking you get it right, and I'll be like, well, I think so, but I don't actually. This isn't my voice, so I can't reply to you in kind. But mm-hmm. I totally understand what you're saying because popular culture is a thing. But like, oh I can't God. do the the voice that you're doing. I can't do. Right. So like or like I could practice to do but it's gonna take me a little while (laughs) well and that's that's so strange I just thought about that like moving to the states and especially I don't know if you have you been here during like (laughs) the fun and excitement of the last two years (laughs) yeah I was literally two years yeah oh oh my god I'm like during uh, during this period especially when everyone's identity has been shuffled about because for a while we just weren't being perceived I found that to be the most interesting point of this is like not being perceived and thus being able to just be um Mm -hmm. oneself and then stepping back into perception and then people being like oh is this your identity how about this one can you try this one on like was it this one (laughs) (laughs) I was like wow that must be disorienting and strange (laughs) well I think that's uh it's an interesting thing, this idea of being like a singer-songwriter, now actor, like um, I was a straddling, if you will, some identities. Um, I was learning to be an actor and learning about um, how to bring, I suppose, my musicality into, you know, this whole sense of 
portraying an icon in a way that's really important to to do and Mm -hmm. one of those like moments where someone's like trying to like guide your um I suppose image and your kind of sense of who you are was like very much in like my first cycle it was all about um like not really knowing anyone in America and having to kind of take what I was given and make good on what I was given more than necessarily have this great sense of agency and this great sense of being able to um I suppose reconnect with the part of myself the four-year-old self that was that knew that she wanted to do exactly this and really honor that you know I kind of had to work with people who I didn't have like uh we weren't born on the same continent we are the same generation same ethnicity same gender (laughs) like we barely even spoke the same English because of the differences between American and uh um English English yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) um and so yeah like it was weird the pandemic actually reversed it for me because everyone became freaking hypersensitive about how um like it's felt like like white fragility was on a high just before George Floyd and then had to hit the floor real quick because there were so many things going I'm not gonna help you (laughs) and like you know um things that were like um also here's loads of materials so you don't have to ask me or put out one of those really weird fake feeler messages to the one black person that you basically never talked to just to feel like (laughs) like one black friend ever and not because you're really going to do anything like at all just because you just want to be absolved for like five minutes um and so like I felt like it really reversed it for me because everyone's like shit no we can't just like not do a thing this is the bit that there's everyone saying that anti-racism is active so get off your bloody ass and do something and so like the big heel turn was really helpful and everything that my team had been pushing for was finally just like oh sure of course oh my wow this is freaking amazing (laughs) and like basically all the black people in Nashville were all talking to each other FYI you know they say oh you do all know each other we didn't but we do now and uh, (laughs) and we were all all nattering away like so did did like are are you getting all the things that you didn't get literally five minutes ago yeah it's brilliant (laughs) (laughs) it was bloody great and so like yeah it felt like I was like finally able to step into the final like little incarnations of my being little things I constructed for myself that I wasn't really able to actualize before you know that was it was a real gift like people not being able to kind of like to like white lady tears their way out of like their own bias oh you talked to me about my bias I'm gonna like the number of times I've had white women cry at me because she called them out on something that was clearly not great (laughs) (laughs) you could ask I could I could confidently say you could call up any black lady now and says have a white has a white woman try to white lady tears out of the like doing something slightly racist and they'd be like a hundred percent yes oh so much like really I can't think of a black lady friend that I have that wouldn't reply like that and uh, and so that just evaporated all the kind of the the bro side of that situation 
was like it was just it it, it became easier it certainly didn't fix and there's a whole lot of performative but like you know and people that really don't get that like to really lift up it can't be about you <laughs> so like you can't go wow yeah I got all of these black people to serve me um on, as lifters oh, of my sedan chair whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> like that, it's not the same I'm sorry like I mean really uplift like to your level I know it's uncomfortable no one likes competition but like (laughs) (laughs) least of all when it's black and excellent but still do it um (laughs) and so yeah like it's funny this idea of identity and it just keeps kept on just revolving all the time through my life through the lockdown because then I had to go and act and so I get like shipped out to uh you know, um, Australia, I get a fly out, shall I say, and we're almost no one on the bloody plane, obviously. Right, right. And uh, the government goes, oh, it's fine for you to come in and, like, finish this movie, but they do it in small chunks, so we're not all together, obviously, at the same time. Yeah, like, and then the, the, the real stage of becoming, as an actor, like, is something that, like... It felt like everything that I had to kind of navigate played into my understanding of Sister Rosetta Tharp and how to portray her. Like, if as a woman of colour you've had to navigate all of this, imagine being a queer woman of colour in Memphis um, in the 50s with your out-and-out girlfriend playing piano with you (laughs) and just being, like, just utterly unapologetic in your portrayal of like your life and your brilliance yourself and how you get to that I'm like there's definitely a like a uh, a biopic of her waiting to happen um but like just like what it takes and you know and I, I in the same way as like I know that I didn't come to my sense of like self-worth in a linear straightforward fashion like you know, you can only imagine like how many, how much programming she had to overcome to love herself and to like turn that into the kind of revolutionary art that became rock and roll, you know, like it just like nothing, nothing's lost in this journey, nothing. And like, that's what I really that's that if that's if there's one thing that I learned about the pandemic it was that like nothing's <laughs> lost you like you just like you you weaponize every skill every random thing you've ever done turns into something that's useful and when the kind of you know pants get freaking pulled down of society mm-hmm. then you turn to all of those things that prepared you to survive to to pivot or to to do something that that makes you feel full again well in that description of your in a way like your learning was an unlearning and then as you spoke to like I'm sure I have been that white lady I know for sure I've been that white lady that has wanted to react defensively because it's hard being wrong and it's hard learning like wow you did something that kind of made you low-key an asshole um and then you're like oh I can either double down on being wrong or I can just uh, accept that and learn something different. <laughs> and something right now. Yeah. Um, 
you are within under a handful of white women who have admitted to doing that. FYI. I'm like, hooray, I get an A at being an asshole by accident. Thing though as well. Oh my God. Because the first rule of freaking AA is admit you've got a problem, right? Exactly. You can't just be fixed and just never broach the moment that when you when you had a massive issue <laughs> like That's you have to go right. oh there was an issue and I'm gonna deal with it and here is what it is and I own it and I was it wasn't great but I'm fighting it every day I, I'm reprogramming my, programming myself every day and we have to because the programming goes to everybody it isn't like just a little special little psychic link like bloody well Voldemort or something like, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it goes to everybody so black people get it brown people get it you everyone bloody gets it like and it's just a matter of how well you deprogram yourself you know well and, and it, so and it takes yeah work. it's it's good work to do and it's good to it's good to acknowledge I, I wish that like at some point I might write like a little social script of like how to gracefully be wrong about something yeah. <laughs> um because it's something <laughs> all of us are um, yeah I really prided <laughs> myself on going do you know what I'm willing to be wrong. Like that's totally within my remit. And if I am, oh, I, that was not that. That was not it. I'm fucking sorry. <laughs> like, exactly. Like I'm, I'm ready. Like, and I know it started out. My willingness to say sorry extremely quickly kind of started out as a kind of a scar. It was like that, you know. My family weren't the forgiving kind. They weren't really the empathetic kind. So mm. I always had to be the first one to say sorry. And and so it didn't come from a healthy place, but it was still useful. How <laughs> to say sorry? I'd be like, oh, oh no, that was me. Sorry, no, actually sorry. Feeling real palpable guilt. Sorry. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you know, like, it sucks. I kind of sucked. Um, like I used to be like way sexist before. I used to hang out with people that were kind of sexist, but it was also normal, like in the environment that I was in, because most people were like that. They would like. There were so many people that would program women to not think that they could play instruments, for example. And so loads of people, even when they were starting, like they were mentally predisposed to do less well because they weren't even pushing, like to get kind of sports science about it. They were yeah. thinking counter their muscle movement, which if you've ever watched an athlete, you'll know that they visualize in the direction of their muscle movement. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I so love it's not up. Yeah, it's like like anti-sports psychology, making people less capable of doing what they need to do by telling them they're going to be less capable. Mm. And so it was like it was like the kind of like a really universal mindfuck that kind of occurred in like Bristol when I was growing up. It was ridiculous. And so um yeah, like um uh, there were many, many situations in which like I was programmed to like call a guy to do this thing instead of a woman or whatever to not be able to believe or see it because I'd been successfully programmed so there's so much undoing to be done and like part of the undoing is realizing exactly how wrong you were <laughs> how much of a freaking douche you were and that it, and it's like nice to just not be a douche that's, like that's the whole thing the is, is in the end like my whole goal I, I was just like 
that would be that would don't embroider this on a pillow I was like my whole goal is just to be like less douchey Um, (laughs) and it's like that's what you said about especially like seeing other engineers or producers or even people who are playing instruments like I you know I'm like spoiler alert I'm a musician as well and for a long time despite taking electronic music classes composition music theory all these things playing piano since I was five like did I think for a long time that I could produce things? No. And it was because I was generally instructed to call upon my male peers and I wasn't mm-hmm. with non-male um, engineers or producers. And when I was, it was like, here's the one, that's it. You get like Delia Derbyshire. That's it. That's the one. That's it. There's, a, and there's like, always an exception yeah. and they'll totally allow the exception, but it's, it's the same thing as when there's only it's like the token black person yes so like it's just it's just oh there's an exception and if you're extremely lucky and they never tell someone else you could be the next one no (laughs) in exceptionalism there's no like oh but you could be the next one so go it's always like there's only one it's her and And when she does die even it's probably not gonna be you oh yeah Oh yeah, mine mine was Barbara Streisand. Like literally everyone's just like, has anyone ever told you that like you're like Barbara Streisand? Or like, have you like checked out Barbara Streisand? And I was just like, why are you pointing to literally the one very identifiably like Ashkenazi Jewish woman? Like I, I, I don't even look like Barbara Streisand. <laughs> She's I, like, know, I happen so- to just not look like her. Profoundly insulting. It's like, have you like have you heard of Barbara Streisand? Have you heard of Michael Jackson? Like <laughs> who hasn't? Are you insane? What do you mean, have I heard of Barbara Streisand? Frickin', have you heard of a pile of crap? Because you look like that. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, um, yes. Is there was there more to that? Like, and that idea of having to unlearn all of that and especially to make like the record that you did I'm curious like what what do you like to do in the studio like what are your favorite things like obviously you write and you play and everything I'm like but how did you kind of step more into that and with whom do you like to collaborate and like what was your process of that oh well I think like first it was what I do when I'm not in the studio so I went to um like my back catalogue of ideas I went through the voice notes and Mm -hmm. like started collecting things I was like I've got nothing on it's bloody lockdown let's go through what I've always loved and get those ideas together and like really start looking at them and see how much work they need or if they're almost there and they just need a little tickle and uh yeah it was like so much about like first getting the early process right like from I've only really been playing guitar since about 2014 Mm -hmm. and before that I was a top line writer and um in all situations they were collaborative they were codependent if anything and so like that idea of being able to have the option for independence was a really big part of my process Mm. Um, so I didn't have to lean on somebody but that I could if I wanted to for the sake of an idea is like more of a keys idea than a guitar idea then I could be collaborative in that regard but just to be able to have enough of 
the genesis, the, the soul of the heart of an idea come from me um, so that, you know, it's always imbued. There's like a continuity. There's like a real mm-hmm. like sense of cohesiveness to a record as I try and reconnect the previously put asunder genres, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that was a really big part of it. And then obviously collaborating with people who understood that, process and that mechanism and even in we tried to we write it wrote in all ways like from bring an idea that's almost finished to an idea that's just a piece part that I need like it's other sections for mm-hmm. to writing something in the room at the time um um all of those three kind of ways that were employed on this record but it was just important that I just chose writers who I think would connect with me like psychologically emotionally mm-hmm. about my process and about I suppose what I was trying to un- uncover and mm-hmm. like navigate um and so I realized I needed a lot more women writers so mm-hmm. with the first record there were only old white men writing and some of like the best old white men in the business may I add but still old white men and there were old white men on this record and they were great we love it. But like, they're really great. Some of the tastiest old white men in creation. But like, uh, there are more than old white men in the world. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I love when like the old white man becomes the token as opposed to the norm. That always makes that, me happy. Exactly it. And if you look at the, the writers on the back of this thing, the old white men are not the, the, the mainstay. It's mostly um like of the when we put in the calls me and Dan will put in the calls to who we're going to call to kind of complete the the tripod of writer Mm -hmm. it's it it was mostly a woman that we'd call a lot of the time Natalie Hemby I absolutely adore working with that woman but also um Joy Ladakoon, Ruby Amanfu um in some cases songs that I'd already started with a dear friend of mine and massive boss lady um Hannah Versant mm-hmm. yeah and Liz Rose and yeah like it was Lady Ageddon you know <laughs> and uh that's what we wanted that's like that was the that was that was a really big help in the ability to talk about things that might be difficult like with Liz Rose for example I hadn't met her um but like not having like two white guys in the room that might we not that might not be aligned in a number of ways. Um, like I, I was like, you know what? I feel like I've had a lot of good writing sessions up to this point. Let's just take a punt. It's almost be- because I'd had some really great comfortable writing sessions that mm-hmm. I felt as though I get into the subject of talking about the death of my mother with this woman. Mm-hmm. And like, and so even though the only thing we had in common that was that we're the same gender, <laughs> like. But that was something. Yeah. I could then speak on like mother-daughter relationships that she'd definitely be able to call on. And, you know, and there wasn't much of the song to complete necessarily, you know, um, because I've been playing it out for about three years and it was just like there was some relyricing and some bits that need to be done. It needs to be done in a very tender way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and especially specifically that it was about a woman from Barbados um, who'd moved to England. That's like, it's, you're not going to be able to com- com- comment on this song unless you get really into it. And so 
Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, it, it meant that like I had to have people in the room um, that I'd either previously worked with and we'd connected through the process of writing already, or like we were likely to be able to connect. <laughs> right. Like, like it, it forced the hand um, to get a certain quality of song you need to be able to talk about certain things. And if everyone's like utterly perplexed and their first instincts are to lean in exactly the wrong direction. And we've all got friends that are like that or had at least if we haven't got rid of them yet, um, <laughs> who, who are, who like their very instinct is profoundly Becky. Um, and, and they don't know how they, every time they are given like an opportunity to lean in the right way they'll they'll lean in the wrong way and they don't know <laughs> that the program is so entrenched that mm. like just like like they'll just spurt something out that is just like oh no 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 <laughs> and especially when you're in such an emotionally vulnerable space like to not have to to not have to explain yourself to already have that basis of trust and understanding that you're like okay <laughs> now we now we can go further because I was like oh god I, yeah, I but do not have to yeah. validate yourself as well like yeah. the number of times I've talked to people and they'll be like uh, oh but it's getting better isn't it like about like race or whatever and I'll be like is it <laughs> and, I'll, <laughs> and I'll be like you know we just narrowly dived a freaking Nazi apocalypse in mate <laughs> like, okay so maybe I don't, uh, maybe in some ways we're stepping forward in some ways we're stepping backwards or, or I don't know is it exactly the same but just like we've just moved some chess pieces like we're doing a Rubik's Cube or something and like you haven't solved it at all but like <laughs> some colors are in different places I was gonna say like, we've moved but was it forward <laughs> was it forward we've definitely moved was it forward like yeah. you know like, was something some laws have come into place like you know they've not managed to kind of retulsa anyone yet like like progress 100 percent. okay like um yeah it's just it's just like when you're in we've all had people that are like oh it's getting better and you go oh is it though and instead of going oh i don't know actually i don't have the answer to that question we need some statistics they're like oh but it is and the answer is because they need it to be because they don't want to have to feel guilt that's and comfort again yeah that, 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 that yeah. fragility again comes yeah. to the fore and they're just like no 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 no, it's definitely getting better no 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 and <laughs> and like and la 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know and, uh, like that kind of business and I've, I've obviously like got to the point where I've just decided I'm just not going to placate those kind of people even if they're like oh no no I think they're brilliant I'm like cool not enough anymore <laughs> right you're like you can think I'm brilliant from over there and that's a fine boundary yeah. yeah yeah or you can just like just like adjust you don't get to question my reality right right you don't get to, to you don't get to get get me to a place which I'm not I refuse to go to um where I question my living history <laughs> like uh that's and but that was that was most of my life was people getting me to question my living history and so refusing to do that is 
or the, the one of the most radical acts of self-love that you can do is to not allow people to make you bow and curtsy just because you exist. Oh, hi, hi. I would like to introduce you to your own conscious bias. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, feel good. <laughs> like, you yeah. can't apologise with that crap. You've got to go, you, it's, you just got to be like, it is what it is. I'm not going to go specially hard on you and I'm not going to specially soft. I'm just going to go at regular speed because that's the speed I'm choosing to go to at. And you know, if I've even bothered to talk to you about it, it's probably because I like you. If I haven't talked about it, it's because you're about to disappear. Not because I'm not going to kill you <laughs> from my life. <laughs> yep. yep. I there is more vigorous nodding. By the way, I was like, I'm yeah. adding in the the vigorous nodding has continued. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The vigorous nodding has continued. I just yes. this furious typing. <laughs> the vigorous nodding. Oh my gosh. And and what you said about like giving people a platform and giving people your platform. Like it's very strange that if you had told me about a year ago, so you're gonna well, two years ago, really, you're gonna spend most of your time in your living room. What are you gonna do with that time? Well, you're gonna talk to strangers on the internet and then you're gonna let other people listen to those conversations. I'd be like, I'm gonna do what? Believe <laughs> 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 that. Um I'd say you were mad if you said that. Exactly. No. What? And so it's it's been very much that though that I am grateful that for whatever reason people have decided to listen to me talk to other people um that's marvelous and I I love all of you who are listening for that reason and that means that then I get to have people like you so that they can listen to you talk <laughs> so I'm, hey, like, I'm like mysterious this work <laughs> uh, teamwork maybe that's what we really discovered in this pandemic was just like teamwork making the dream work you know yes it's it's not a phrase but like I think we got better at it during the pandemic like definitely in the black Nashville states I don't know if you've noticed what's happened in Nashville but we've squatted it up yeah (laughs) whilst everyone was locked away we're like checking on on each other you all right this is a kind of harrowing period and we're just making sure no one's gonna jump off a cliff we good we good we good we good oh cool well keep my details and you know teamwork makes the dream work you know and like the ally song got real and you know the cross culture freaking high five got real and that's the kind of dawn of dawn of aquarius kind of shit that i want to my life to look like to be honest <laughs> uh totally that's that's the thing is like when you know throughout time like throughout time i speak as though i'm an ancient bog witch um but like <laughs> throughout time i sometimes wonder what it's like to like converse with me i'm like i'm so sorry also you're welcome um like, <laughs> <laughs> more you're welcome like, <laughs> I, I was raised always with the idea of like Sadaka and giving back, like making the world better, all of that. And so it was always something that I had done without like centralizing myself because it was, it was just part of what I did. It's like, you always gave away, like you chose which charities you wanted to give to, you chose which causes you wanted to, but like, I was never like posting about it or telling other people about it. Thank that you. That's my style. I'm like, if I'm going to do good, I'm going to do it quietly. Yeah. I'm not going to go and publicize exactly the thing that I did. I, I will talk about not being a douche and trying to like my, my general process, but I won't go. And here's the thing I can get a medal for. The second you've got your medal, 
you've benefited. It wasn't about that anymore. Right. So STFU and just do the thing. It was so baffling because like when all this started and people started, like you said, like the performative allyship, like I chose to, like, I was talking to several artists that I wanted to interview for the pod, but I also wanted to be considerate of, hey, this is probably a really psychologically stressful time for you. Do you want to talk right now or do you want to talk later? And like two people that I wanted to interview that week were like, can we talk later? I was like, yes, that, that, yeah, that's like, why yes. I asked. <laughs> and so hundred percent why I asked. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh my God, I'm so glad that you said the, the like later that that's why I offered. And so it's like, so I didn't publish for two weeks and then I published um, an interview with a French artist and someone came at me being like, why didn't you interview a black artist? And I was like, um, cause I'm not a jerk. I, I, to, I was watching out for the mental health of my guests. I, was like, <laughs> I like, actually wanted time off. Yes. Is, is this the bit that you go dance black person dance? It's your time now. Like, I was just like, do you understand? Oh my God. I was just like, and, and they I, probably thought that they were being really like helpful. They were like, no, now's the time to showcase black artists. I'm like, yeah, this week. And then like, oh my like, God. That, that kind of performativeness that makes people then check out. It's like, no, no, I actually asked what a person of color wanted. Oh, that was a rare thing in itself. People are so vicariously thinking what we might be offended by. How about talking to a black person ever? And they go, what would you like? literally oh, you know what I need this thank you yeah. so thinking of my humanity and not that I'm just some uh, like black terminator <laughs> there to s- perpetually survive regardless of what volume missiles are thrown hey. I didn't you want know? to yeah. like and now why not both has to be like woke by talking to a black person while they're distressed because black people are being killed I was like oh my god no that, that that's the opposite that is, oh my God. This is what I'm trying to do here. I was like, that is such, oh, this is like playing on nightmare mode. And I was just like, well, I'm not. Playing on nightmare mode. Yes, just like, it was. I think like maybe my sarcasm made me less of a target for these calls I did get them but I didn't get half as many as some of my maybe slightly more forgiving and understanding friends uh, they were like oh like Ali's nice let's call her or <laughs> I'm like yeah you better believe they ain't calling me <laughs> you're like they're staying yeah, away. I, I even said to one person once I'm like we haven't spoken in six months are you high <laughs> <laughs> now like oh. but I want my, like, yeah, learn yourself make some authentic black friends oh my god yeah the most I sent to my friends like was just like you okay do you need some snacks can I send you anything I'm like yeah um, we around the table and, and like took like trade stories about how weird it was that people were calling oh wow some people are just like oh no that's my friend that's totally acceptable and then people like literally never talked to her okay this is weird um yeah you know it was really weird and it's very like, that's like someone out of the blue someone that I hadn't talked to in years out of nowhere wished me a happy Hanukkah yesterday and was like so I've been listening to your podcast and I was like cool to know you've been following me on the internet this whole time uh for god knows (laughs) how long um but really weird that you're the way you brought it up was happy Hanukkah it's like happy Hanukkah I haven't talked to you in seven years are you famous now (laughs) (laughs) 
exactly weird. Is it the weirdest? So weird. It's like no one has like a an ability to you know like just like watch a situation from above from like a third party situation and go this is weird and distasteful yeah, don't do that that's weird like that is not yeah. it's not the way it's not the way like authentically connect to somebody maybe not just after you've discovered something that they've done that might make them famous like yeah <laughs> and like you know we, we all lose touch it's, it's, a, it's a thing but then just like like consult your mind and think whether you ever had a connection to start with and then if you did then go oh I've missed you dot dot it reminded me I know and maybe address the elephant in the room oh, I know that it might be distasteful to touch base given how much time it is and the timing might be a little bit gross but honestly it ain't about that so like we all know what it looks like just oh, address yeah. the elephant in the room and try and be a human about it oh like, my god the awkward <laughs> flamingos are back it's like did you just encounter horrible racism in public are you maybe famous maybe that's not like the way that you should contact someone <laughs> <laughs> please call 555 <laughs> <laughs> to be a friend.org <laughs> yeah not exactly you know uh, oh yeah no. I think like it's it's funny some people I realized I must have transitioned from doormat yola given like how comfortable I was just kind of calling calling bs yeah I'm going yeah. no 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 <laughs> I just imagine like an an ancient like AOL away message that was just a reading list. Like, please consult these sources. Well, there were so many sources on the internet at the time. It was like you were drowning in resources. You didn't need to talk to anybody other than just hop on the internet and read. It's like, like you went, you can read, right? Cool. Here you, if go. you can't read, fair enough. Okay. Here's some Here's videos. You can read. That's yeah, that's distribution of resource. That is one thing that I did notice um, increase a lot, which made me happy because other spoiler, um, I also work in the field of therapy, um, is that over this course of time, uh, as we've been all kind of mushy and weird and at home, like mm -hmm. there have been so many resources that have come out. Like I have noticed that like clients of mine at least are like, oh, I discovered this about myself by watching TikTok or like, oh, wow, this popped up in my YouTube feed, like things like that, where people are coming to new ideas about their identity and also learning new things about our society, because like there actually are resources available now that people are stumbling. Yeah. I'm like, yes, it's fascinating. I, I think like the George Floyd era was a really um, in 2020 was a real and the consequent like BLM protests yeah. were. Like it was a really rich vein of like things just flying about your algorithms that might make you less of a douchebag. Yeah. Like it's really, really useful. And I pointed a lot of people in those directions. I'll be like, and not even some, most of the time, not specifically, I'd be like, everyone's algorithms are rife right now. Why, why me? <laughs> <laughs> it's literally everywhere. I'm not as like, Google's got everything. Instagram is literally swimming. Like, go, go, have at it. It's, oh, it's, it's, go to it's the Google. It's right there. <laughs> you have a computer in your pocket for the first time in history. Use it. You know, like, yeah, it was crazy. And like, um, and amid this time, I'm trying to write an album. 
Oh my God. That's why I was just like, I'm so glad you chose people that kept you emotionally safe during that because I was like, yeah, that's not the time to work with genius old white guys. That that's not the right time. (laughs) Again, love them. Not the time. Like, you know, well, some of the time. And like, you know, I the I would inadvertently gravitate to the slightly more weird ones. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like that at least maybe were would allow me that kind of the brand of escapism that I enjoy being a sci-fi lover. And uh, you know, I'd be like, yes, don't give me the normos. Give me the oddballs. I was gonna say, yeah. like, I, I dunk on myself and my partner daily because he is an older white man from Memphis. And every day I'm like, how did this happen? And he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, why are you like this? I was like, why are you like this? <laughs> but as long as someone has like the brain spice, like, because he's he's a fellow creative as well. He's an engineer and producer and whatnot. And like if someone has like the brain spice to go with you on the journey, that's very exciting, regardless of, it is. of anything. It's like, if someone has that, like that is just, mm, it's the magic. And like, so if someone can at the very least, like be like, Hey, this story you're telling me, it's not my story, but I'm invested in it. And I'm listening. <laughs> like, I'm like, great. Important. Yeah. You need people in the room to be on board with, the, with what's going on. It's a, that became like, the main mission and like however they got there like whether they got there of their own volition or you had to play some elaborate mind game to get them there <laughs> like whatever whatever gets them there they ha- by the time they get to the room they need to be there <laughs> yeah and so that was like the mission for real was the mission to uh get get people in the room that were on board with the journey and that's why that record sounds like a journey like you know like it sounds like I've talked about the how the first and the last song are a counterpoint of each other mm-hmm. what the last song speaks back to the first song goes come on through yeah. <laughs> like you know like that's really that's really what the, it's doing and it encourages you to cycle the album because yeah. you want to revisit that first person and watch them go through that and then that person then calls back to someone else and it continually goes through calling people through the process oh. and each song is like a little moment of that process a little snapshot not necessarily always like like you know the a chronological happening but you know uh stage in the process you've got you know everyone needs is their dancing away in tears moment and like that whole kind of like bye bitch like I've seen <laughs> internet recently a lot of like people like you know if you ain't about it peace yep. like there's a lot of this kind of like people using peace out as like a like you know the peace emoji yep and so uh that's kind of really, if you wanted to boil it down to an emoji, like it would be <laughs> peace out. It's been, <laughs> it's been wild. Peace. <laughs> you know? Like that's really dancing away. It's, it's been wild. Peace. And then just like we out. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then looking at the micro of your situation and going, right, okay, this space ain't, ain't for me. I'm going to go and find where I'm supposed to be and then like obviously then we go into the macro of diamond studs shoes and it's like oh my god the system's literally trying to program my mind to never do anything I want to do mm-hmm. and and uh and then we just start, start ticking off the things that are important to me anyway like you know we get through 
freaking be my friend. And that's probably the big turning point. We identify what's wrong. And then we're like, do you want to be an ally? And by mm-hmm. allyship, I mean, no one's thanking you. There are no medals. There's no nothing about you. Jog on. No medal will adorn you. <laughs> Here comes a non-racist. There's no fanfare. I'm sorry, buddy. You're waiting for a big old procession. That's the, like, it's a bit of a two-pronged song. Because at the same oh, time, okay. it's speaking to the protagonist to be like, also, if you're minimizing yourself, no one's going to thank you for that either. Right. Your maximum effort is going to become the minimum requirement. And so, mm. like, no one, no thanks will come your way. It's the first line. Just to let you know, for both parties, one, one shouldn't be thanked, and they will henceforth not be. And the other one, like, it was never coming in the first place, so stop doing whatever the hell it is you're doing. And so, like, yeah. And then we just move through this, need to connect and this sense of that life isn't a dress rehearsal and that mortality is very present and all of these things and uh, and a great overcoming and that's once you get through that we throw it back to number one <laughs> so yeah like it's funny because I thought of it when I was doing the track listing like mm-hmm. like a play or like a mm-hmm. series like a 12-part series you know mm-hmm. like and so it's funny that like I did that and then I went and then like delivered it <laughs> and then went to shoot a movie. Yeah, be like time to channel that into someone else entirely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, very much a dovetail of an experience. Wow. And I'm so curious now. I was like, what are your favorite sci-fi stories that informed you? I was like, I'm just dying to know. The nerd in me is like, I must know. Oh, well, uh, I think, like, I was, I love Star Trek. And I really always have, even especially the new Star Trek. You know, it's, there's a new discovery out at the moment. Oh. And uh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so, so, so good. But, yeah, my mum was well into Star Trek, and I was in it. I was just grew up with with Star Trek as a, as a thing. Yeah. And so, like... That became like a just a big part of my life. Like just seeing that on the telly. Star Wars was a big part of my life, seeing that. Um, being like a real like lover of, you know, I suppose it segued into fantasy as well. Mm-hmm. And so I had the kind of Potter, Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. kind of grounding as well. Um, yeah, like. I feel like when it came to also like my like love of like anime, like Ghost in the Shell and things like that, it was like that kind of crossover of things that kind of pertain to sci-fi, fantasy and anime hybrids like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, there was so much in that kind of, that triangle that spoke to me. Um, But yeah, like... um, yeah, I suppose they were the big, they were the big ones, really. Yeah, and like I love that also you brought anime into it because I was looking at your user avatar on Zoom and I was just like, oh my gosh, you are like a space witch, and I love it. Yeah, it was like it's supposed to be like, um, you know, comedic royalty cross um, um, intermarried Nubian house um, warrior queen from the freaking 
African Middle Ages. Like I went, I used to go to so many, um, like every Black History Month, I go to like these wonderful networks um, that would have um, like endless um, lectures on like royalty from Sub-Sahara and like, and uh, um, I suppose mid-Sahara and North African um, houses and how, like just the whole political situation, how it worked, how it, um, the balance of power shifted and all these kinds of things. And all the, the, the houses and how they kind of dealt with their territories and, Mm-hmm. There was so there were so many um, like uh, lectures I go to that would speak on these queens and like warrior queens mm-hmm. like uh, like uh, I, I could never like like retain it so I just like make loads of notes and then read it later and mm-hmm. um, I was like they'd be like okay so who's this one this one's warrior queen uh, Gudit or Gudi. Um, who was like, you know, apart from this part of Africa, and then you'd read another one and it'd be like, okay, so the understanding of like how, you know, Kush and Nubia interacted with each other and like, there was endless, like all of this, um, and then Nzinga and like this, the, all of these names became like an inspiration and then like mm-hmm. built into like the idea of like the outfit I was wearing. So it was actually a still, from oh. a little animation done for um, uh, uh, my cover of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Mm-hmm. And in this particular situation, it's more of like goodbye. The Yellow Brick Road, I suppose, in the original song is just like, you know, that whole, you know, playing for rich people in their penthouses kind of situation and the big <laughs> machine. But the machine yeah. I'm escaping from is the one of my mind being colonized. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> Yeah, like that's how I kind of connected and identified the song, and so wow. that kind of plays into like the the look of what I'm wearing, and you know, yeah. So that's a still from that. I love the story there. <laughs> that sounded like a little kid. I'm just like, tell me more stories. I was like, literally, this podcast could be a, a gazillion hours long because these stories are fascinating to me. I'm like I, I sense I have to leave, but no one's told me to yet. <laughs> Normally someone goes, You need to leave. Why haven't you left? The time um, like it, it truly is one of the unexpected blessings of this time that this did become like a, a major mainstay of my creative and professional life that I'm like, I get to hear people's stories and share them with other people. Like it, I don't know how I stumbled into this, but I'm I'm thrilled. Oh, well, I'm thrilled that you've done it. <laughs> it's been really great. But I think we're near wrap time. So it's yeah, throw something else at me and then we out. Oh my gosh. I was just like, there's so many questions in my mind. Um, I guess what has it been like sharing this personal of a journey with other people? Like how has oh, it yeah. been to yeah, to get kind of that the vibes back? Well, I suppose like like it's 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 obviously cathartic. Like number one, it's cathartic, obviously. Um, but um, like it's a realization of like 
a moment in time where I've been able to build up enough network to be able to tap it for my own creative means. Hmm. One of the kind of, like with the first record I did, I wasn't able to do that. Like I've said, I didn't know anybody. So it was mostly like, you know, tapping up the ledges via the power of Dan's Black Book, you know? And I wasn't able to go to anyone that necessarily could reflect any of the experiences that I've had in life. Right. And so like, it's really validating of the work I've done to build those networks and those connections and those relationships, because I just, I love to bounce things off people. I love to feel in the bosom of something, you know, and like, that's really what, that's how I excel. I excel when I feel this sense of like I've just have resources around me and they're and and they know how to kind of I suppose trade ideas with my particular kind of mind Mm -hmm. and so it was like reassuring as well that I wasn't alone um I've been alone a lot of my life and I didn't have to be alone anymore and like I spent time like building like a band and actually having time to do that instead of just picking people up randomly (laughs) like I was able to actually just build it and actually with with intention to actually intentionally do that to intentionally build my writing networks and then tap them up and to carry on doing that just so like you know however whichever way I want to write a song that I am able to do that to be able to be productive like it's also a security blanket like if you weren't born into a bloody well trust fund then you know you need to know that you can carry on being productive Mm. and that you know you can be independent in that that no one gets to um hold your intellectual property ransom or your ability to create ransom you know Mm. you you know that you are the person that can take care of yourself as a grown up woman you know yeah. like so it was a lot of things it was a lot of things you know uh, like that make you feel less insecure as you know have you ever had bill anxiety do you know mm-hmm. what I mean which anxiety a bill anxiety when you don't want to open up your bills because you don't oh, want to have to yes uh the pile of mail that looms and it just sits on the kitchen table taunting you yeah and even if you then decide to p- pay it anyway you just don't open it because the <laughs> oceanal process you experience through opening it is gives you <sighs> level society now mm-hmm. this is something that only poor people understand if you were like if if papa paid for all of your tuition and then like made sure and gave you a deposit you don't have a freaking clue what I'm talking about right Right. like but if you really have been like in a danger situation you've been like at the bailiffs coming for you or like you've been crap I'm gonna get kicked out of here in about three two one you'll know exactly what I'm talking about and like or just been like hard up and going I'm just getting a bit close to the wind right now is what I'm doing like uh yeah like that was a real it's a real real feeling and to be able to feel as though you can um provide for yourself um 
creatively be it on your own or to have people that can help you get there that are really willing to and really able to and you and bring things out of you so you have a connection to the songs so it isn't just a bunch of people writing songs for you that you have no emotional connection to but ones where that you can talk about like ad nauseum unfortunately <laughs> um, you know it's that's it's just such a valuable feeling and like I understand how hard it is to get to and it's one of the hurdles that we have to jump like yeah. when jousting with our upper class peers you know yeah. like they don't have to deal with that but we do and it's terrifying <laughs> and so it's a great relief when you find people who get it and can interact with you and that never gets old the more you meet people the more valuable it is Yes. I love that you like found, you found yourself by unlearning a whole bunch. And then you're like, and now I'm going to cast the net. And I was like, and you collected so many beautiful people and songs. I was like, that's so cool. It's really, really relaxing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Oh, you've been so generous with your time as well. I really appreciate that. Hey, you know, you've been an absolute delight, so it's not been work. Oh, thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.